Hello, and welcome to another installment of The Weird Chronicles. Each episode, we bring you tales of action and adventure from Malifaux and the other side. Malifaux is a frontier community full of lucky prospectors with more money than sense. Gambling is a favourite pastime. Professional card sharks swim among the schools of fishes. Poker games can sometimes have very high stakes, but in today's story, winning a hand becomes a matter of life and death. I hope you enjoy High Stakes. High Stakes by Bob Kruzmeski You're not going to catch that straight. Ginny whispered seductively in his ear. She kissed his cheek for good measure before turning back to face the rest of the table. She massaged his shoulders, a calculated move that allowed her to scrutinize the table and take in the opposition. She feigned the affection, always putting on a good show. She sounded sincere. Her touch looked convincingly loving, and her fawning glances implied utter devotion to her man. She mastered the role of arm trophy, smitten with the big-time gambler. Carter admired her professionalism, even if the act had worn thin on him. She was right. He already knew he wasn't getting to catch the king he needed. Hell, most of the others probably did too. Fortunately, most of them folded earlier, leaving just Carter and the lummock sitting across the table. He looked like a steam fitter, a big burly man that could easily snap Carter's spine if he didn't like the way things played out. He played poker like a child, glee spreading across his face when he had a hand he could work with petulant scowls darkening his face when he didn't. Unfortunately for Carter, he was the luckiest man Carter had ever met. Despite Carter's great skill, the man's luck dominated this hand. Bluffing the steam fitter could prove fatal. He'd already put a lot of money into the pot, and he seemed to be the surly sort that wouldn't appreciate a good bluff. He'd slammed his fists in anger a few times tonight, and had once come damn near flipping the table in rage. Several other gamblers backed away from the table, sensing trouble brewing. Carter wished to do the same, but Ginny's warning glance forced him to stay. After several tense moments of staring at each other, sizing one another up like a couple of gunfighters, Carter folded. It hurt like hell to do it but the smile that spread across the other guy's face told him it was the right move. He needed to slow play the man. The poor sap's luck was sure to end, and he would gamble away the winnings. Carter knew he'd get the money. It was just going to take a little longer than planned. Ginny, darling, he said over his shoulder. Can you go get this man a drink? He deserves a reward for his tenacity. Anything for you. She purred. The fetid smell of her dead breath wafted across the table. He hoped no one else noticed. Oh, what the hell, honey, he said. Get a little something for yourself while you're at it. She knew the cue, a warning that her disguise was wearing off. Perfume worked well to cover up her decaying scent, but didn't help the putrid halitosis. A little whiskey and her breath would smell like one of the boys. The guy to Carter's right shuffled the cards slowly and methodically. It was his trademark. He'd scowl while he shuffled, 
trying to intimidate the other players. A ridiculous idea, of course, but it gave Carter a chance to take stock of the situation. The casino was more crowded than usual tonight, especially for a Tuesday night. Sullivan's Club for Gentlemen wasn't exactly a big draw, and tonight's rainy weather should have kept more people at home. Carter's gut told him something was wrong, but he didn't know what. It didn't matter. By this time tomorrow, he'd be a free man. His contract lifted, he'd be able to play a game of cards on his terms, keeping all of his winnings. Right now, 80% of his draw went directly into the pockets of one Dr. Barnabas Sloan. The doc's work proved effective. With that, Carter couldn't argue. His wife and daughter didn't stand a chance until Sloan intervened, offering to treat the girls in exchange for the vast majority of every pot Carter pulled in. Steep terms, but no other options existed. Sloan was the only physician claiming a cure for consumption. The agreement paid dividends within a few days. His wife and daughter bore colour in their cheeks and their coughs began to subside. His family healing and his patron satisfied, Carter felt good about the decision. One year, that's how long Sloan's treatment would take before the cure fully took hold. A few weeks after the arrangement, Carter discovered the truth about the doctor's source of healing. Sloan was a skilled resurrectionist, employing a combination of medicine and magic to experiment on the girls. Carter couldn't think about the necromantic concoctions coursing through their veins, contenting himself in the knowledge that his wife and daughter were improving. At the poker table, his risks usually paid off. If this gamble for his family paid off, the ends justified the means. When Ginny came on the scene a few weeks later, he knew the arrangement was going to be complicated. Sloan introduced her as Carter's new partner, someone to help keep the games tipped in his favour. She took on the role of escort, bolstering his image as a successful gambler, complete with his own soiled dove to swoon at every play he made and laugh at all of his jokes. She was pretty enough that other players rarely minded her presence at the table. Her pale skin was almost perfectly smooth, its milk-white pallor a natural fit with the long red hair that brushed her lower back while she walked. Exotic features in her face spoke of mixed lineage from faraway places. Almond eyes, a pixie nose, full lips and high cheekbones. Either Sloane somehow constructed her from several beautiful women, or happened across the perfect corpse. But whatever the doc had done to make her, she demonstrated his artistry. Despite her outer beauty, Carter did not find her attractive, not after spending almost a year in her presence. He felt uneasy with the walking, talking corpse by his side. While he'd committed occasional unsavoury acts in his gambling career, he wouldn't have thought himself capable of dealing with the dead. Of course, she wasn't part of the deal he'd made, not originally. He soon discovered that Sloane made occasional changes to their arrangement. Ginny was the first change, a pair of eyes and ears to watch over Carter, making sure that the doctor got every bit of the agreed-upon 80%. Outside of public eyes, she became Sloane's enforcer, keeping constant watch on Carter's every move. She tossed out occasional warnings about the ills that might befall his wife and daughter should Carter's conscience drive him to break their deal. She made an example of players that tried to get their winnings back by force, 
cutting them down with the pair of knives holstered in her garters. She even stood over Carter as he counted out Sloane's cut, a schoolmarm standing over an incompetent student. He'd grown to hate her over time. When a new hand of cards hit the table, Carter's attention turned away from his thoughts. The dealer called a game of seven-card stud, so he tossed in his ante and shifted his focus to the two cards dealt in the hole. A two and a four, both spades, and the up card was another spade. A questionable start, but one that might work into a straight or flush. Someone bet and he called, paying to see what the next cards would bring. He scrutinised his opponents, watching for any tells that might help guide his decisions. Ginny returned to the table and handed him his whiskey, which he sipped before setting it down beside him. As the next round of cards slid across the table, Carter caught movement in his periphery. A few more people coming in out of the rain. His stomach turned, the way it often did when his luck changed at the worst possible time. He caught another spade, which didn't seem an ill omen at all. His gambler's sense for trouble told him that something else was wrong. As someone who made a life out of reading people, he started to notice some patterns in the crowd. To start, most did not look to be gamblers or drinkers. Some wore refined clothes typically associated with merchants. Some were children, too young to be in a crowded facility full of drunks, prostitutes and gamblers spewing bawdy language. The mix didn't make any sense. Carter tried to convince himself that it was the rain bringing people in, travellers looking for a dry place to wait out the storm. The jack of spades landed in front of him, so Carter bet high. A little higher than he normally would have, really. Feeling confident or foolish? Ginny whispered into his ear, whiskey breath hanging in the air for a brief moment after. She made no pretense this time, keeping her voice low so that only he could hear. It was more of a warning than a question. Before he could answer, the rest of the table folded. He'd made a bad play and could have easily kept some guys in to build the pot if he'd been more conservative. The sloppy play told him that he was distracted, an uncommon feeling after years spent at tables like this. He got the deal, so he shuffled the cards instinctively, trying to fully focus on the game. As was his custom, he looked around while he prepped the cards. Two more people shuffled in, bringing the total to about 40 people. Maybe it's the game, he thought. We've had some pretty big pots tonight. Maybe people wanted to come out and see the excitement of a high-stakes game. Then he realised that none of the strangers paid any attention to the game. Instead of spectating, most of them stood rigidly against a wall, the bar or the staircase. Each wore fear on their face and stared fixedly at the entrance. The group moved slowly as one, inching closer together as they moved away from the door. They reminded Carter of the cattle his pa used to raise packed together in the slaughterhouse, knowing something was about to happen. They didn't know what it was, but sensed that it was bad, so they looked to each other for whatever comfort they could find. The same phenomenon applied to the droves of patrons at Sullivan's tonight. Something ushered each of them here, something terrifying. Even as Carter told himself that the violent shift in the weather was the likely cause, he knew he was again fooling himself. 
he could smell the rain hanging heavy in the air, the smell of mud noticeable even above the cigars and alcohol. He could smell electricity too. The familiar scent of ozone that blows ahead of a lightning storm. Another odour churned in his gut that told him death itself was in the air. Once he verified that the pot was right, he slid cards across the felt, dealing a hand a five-card draw. He announced it would be jacks or better. Trips to win. A pronouncement met with immediate groans from the rest of the gamblers. Those at knew Carter by reputation, a reputation that Ginny's presence elevated to the point of local celebrity, knew that this was Carter's specialty. The players at this table tonight had already lost a few hands of it, sending some sizable pots his way. He waited while they decided to stay in and risk falling victim again. While some men began to contemplate whether to bet or fold, Carter caught the smell of death floating across the room. Carter cast a sideways glance at Ginny, concerned that her halitosis could possibly have come back so quickly. She smiled strangely before blowing him a kiss. It was the scent of newly sipped whiskey. The pungent rot was coming from somewhere else. Ginny's body language indicated that she had an inkling of what was amiss tonight. Her reluctance to let Carter know what was happening put him on edge. The two men left of the deal could have checked, which Carter fully expected them to do, so he raised an eyebrow in surprise when they each chose to fold. It was an unusual play. With no guarantee anyone can even win the first hand, checking would have kept them in for subsequent hands. Now they'd sit out the remainder of the jackpot, regardless of how many hands it took. The real mistake was Carter's, though, in calling the game too quickly. He'd rushed into it, trying to get the money he'd lost last hand. He should have played lower pot games to keep them at the table and slowly reacquire the money. He was off his game, the night's distractions getting under his skin. The odd events were starting to affect everyone. The nervousness of the strangers pressed against the bar and walls became contagious and spread to the regulars. People were restless and on edge. Frightened eyes stared fixedly on the door, sensing unseen doom on the other side. The door opened once again, and the creature that entered was worthy of everyone's fear. It was a massive being, standing about seven feet tall. It vaguely resembled a human, but was much more than that. A hulking construct, made from a conglomeration of several corpses. In assorted places, the creature's skin didn't match. Swatches of varied colour flesh stitched together into a patchwork of dermis. The right arm was considerably longer than left, ending in a deformed hand that made the entire limb look more like a club than a hand. Gasps and screams erupted from the room. A few people tried to run past the creature or flee through the windows. Those that moved toward the door were simply clubbed down by his massive arm. Those that tried the windows discovered zombies lurking on the porch and in the alleyways, bordering the building to keep the patrons in. They held a variety of common weapons and moved as if on patrol. A few foolhardy souls decided to outrun them and were cut down, axes, scythes and shovels cutting deeply into flesh and ending their escape. While everyone struggled to make sense of the terror unfolding around them, the door opened again. 
the massive construct stepped aside to let a rotund man into the saloon. The man's impeccable suit and the high-class pocket watch chained to his vest projected an image of wealth and success. Only Carter and Ginny recognised the man. Seeing him turned Carter's stomach. Ginny, on the other hand, seemed thrilled to see him. She swooned all over him, clearly no longer acting. She wasn't just Sloane's servant. The poor dead thing actually loved him. Carter's sickness intensified. Sloane. Carter greeted him, his voice tinged with mistrust. Is all of this you're doing? He gestured to the various flesh monsters surrounding the building. Sloane smiled, approached the table and motioned for one of the players to get out of his seat. The man did as indicated, intimidated by Sloane's dominating presence. Unconsciously, the other players slowly slipped away to leave Carter and the doctor alone at the table. Carter tried to appear composed, despite his own trepidation. He raked in the abandoned pot and began to stack the chips in front of him. Here for your winnings? He asked, trying to sound casual. I'd have a bit more if you hadn't scared everyone out of the game. Carter began to fidget with the cards, pulling them all together into a deck. The doctor reached one corpulent handout, signifying that he wanted the deck. Though Sloane had always presented himself amiably, any resurrectionist had to be capable of wickedness. The depth of such evils became apparent in the smile the doctor flashed when Carter handed him the cards. I'm not here for the money, the doctor answered. I'll simply have Ginny collect that in the morning. The truth is, I am not ready to let you go, Carter. The statement was so absurd and dryly delivered that Carter assumed it was a joke. He let out a short laugh before seeing the doctor's face and realising that Sloane was serious. Nervous laughter quickly gave way to anger. You're going to try and change the deal, aren't you? You can't do that, he proclaimed. Don't worry, Carter. I intend to be sporting about it, Sloane said as he shuffled the deck. We are simply going to play a little poker to determine what happens. The better you do, the more things go your way. Carter sat back, his eyes narrow and his brow furrowed. Sloane had some sort of a play. This sounded too easy. If the doctor had any skill at the table, Carter would have heard about it. The man was up to something. And if I won't play? He asked his voice sounding bolder than his heart felt. It's my last night. You've gotten the money you needed and I can just be on my way tomorrow as planned. So what if I don't play your little game tonight? Oh, that's an option, the doctor said thoughtfully, while Ginny snickered next to him. You could certainly do that. However, I would like you to consider a few things first. The fat man paused and looked casually at Ginny. With lightning speed, she pulled a revolver from her garter and fired the weapon. Garter was more than surprised by the move. He'd never known her to carry a gun. This was clearly another part of a plan she and Sloane concocted together. Ginny's barrel pointed at a woman, now laying on the casino floor with blood jetting from the hole in her neck. 
She tried to hold the wound shut, but blood oozed between her fingers. People around her dove in to help, but Carter doubted that the woman was long for the world. As she lay there on the floor, the sickening, gurgling sounds emanating from her. Sloane continued. That, he said, passing his massive hand in the direction of the dying girl, was to let you know that I am very serious in my proposal. Are you more ready to listen now? Carter nodded. She's dead, he continued. Or at least she would be dead if Ginny's markmanship weren't so rusty. The admonishment wasn't lost on the undead beauty. She looked ashamed. I can assure you that not everyone will get out of here alive tonight. Those that do will have you to thank. Think of that as bargaining chip number one. The second is your family, Margaret and Cassie, are standing at a precipice. One more injection can bring them forever to your side, healthy and living life as intended. Of course, if I do nothing, their health will deteriorate until they rise again to serve me in undeath. As such, it's in your best interest to make sure nothing happens to me. Carter felt sick. This morning, Maggie and Cassie looked the epitome of health. He was looking forward to their final treatment, and living a normal life with them from here on out. Or at least what passes for normal, this side of the breach, he thought. Now they were Sloane's pawns, patients at best or monsters at worst. Lastly, you should know that if you do not cooperate, I shall tell them how you spend your evenings. They see you as a hero, a great provider that dutifully works the tables all night to afford my treatment. But do they know that you spend your nights with a beautiful courtesan? Will they really believe that she is a bodyguard or an overseer once they catch sight of her? I think not. They will spend their remaining time hating you for that perceived betrayal. What they decide to do to you once they achieve unlife, well, I will leave that to them. Carter could only accept the bargain. He could do little else when faced with the prospect of his family becoming something else, or with them hating him. In this game, Sloane held all of the cards. Convincing, he told the doctor. So if I play, what are the terms? For each hand you win, some of the fine civilians in this establishment go free. For each that I win, some die. If at night's end you've saved more lives than I've taken, you win. Otherwise you lose and serve me another year. Answer one question. Carter thought, trying to find an angle he might be able to exploit later. Why are you doing this? Haven't I lined your coffers enough? True, you've afforded me what I need and added a life of luxury that I hadn't considered. But it's not just about the money, my friend. And there are other resources I require. We shall speak of them at night's end. Now, do we have a game? Carter hesitated, let out a deliberately bored-sounding sigh, and then nodded. Excellent. 
Let's begin, Sloane said, a confident smile spreading across his pudgy face. Carter slid a chip across the table, evoking a full belly laugh from his competitor. Not money, Carter, Sloane said, leaning across the table to stare fixedly at Carter. People. Carter's confused look prompted the doctor to explain further. For example, I will use her as my auntie, he said, pointing to a young woman. Now you choose someone. This is how the game will work. We are not using money, dear boy. We have all of the physical currency we need in this very room. He emphasized the last with a wave toward the trapped patrons. Carter realized the true horror of what he was being asked to do, bringing about waves of nausea. More than sick, it felt like his very soul became ill at the thought. I have to choose who to bet. It's up to me not only to decide who to risk, but also play well enough to save them. And already that bastard has easily put a life at stake. Despite the churning turmoil of emotion he felt, Carter portrayed the epitome of calm. He hesitated, lighting up a cigar and taking a few puffs. It was an affectation for him, a prop that sent the message to his opponents that he was feeling good and felt very much in control. He only hoped that he could use the trapping as a way to spur actual calm inside of him. Gazing around the room, he measured every person to determine his betting strategy. These people were not just chips to throw around on a whim or hunch. They had families, friends, places in society. He needed a system to decide who to risk. When his eyes came across an old drunk, a regular that was usually propped up by Sullivan's bar, he made the safe play. Him, he said as lackadaisically as possible. He needed to sound calm and collected, not just for his own sanity, but to make people feel like he could get them through this. The man stared at Carter with a look that desired violence, so Carter looked away. If he couldn't find a way to get everyone out of this devil's deal, playing it safe with a lonely old man who had little left to offer the world seemed a safe bet. At least until I can figure out a better plan, he told himself. I knew you had it in you, Sloane smirked. I mean, after all, who are these people to you? Your wife and daughter, they are the ones who matter. You just keep that in mind as we play and everything will go smoothly. He stared at Carter intently, looking for a sign that his words registered. He was no doubt looking for an angle, an ace in the hole to throw the gambler off of his game. He had no idea what to expect from the doctor's card playing, but past history with the man taught Carter that his opponent possessed strong manipulation skills. That made him a threat at the table regardless of poker knowledge. Five card draw. The doctor announced as he dealt the cards. Start simple for now, shall we? Carter looked at his given hand, an eight and nine of diamonds, five of spades, four of hearts, and a six of clubs. It wasn't pretty, but a possible straight might save the woman and old man. Folding meant forfeiting lives immediately. He wanted to at least give these poor souls a fighting chance. He checked, 
hesitant to put anyone else at risk. Sloane immediately bet by pointing to a mousy young woman hiding in the corner. She gasped and fainted. He was foolish to think the doctor wouldn't bet up the pot. The resurrectionist wanted carnage. Mental anguish clouded the gambler's brain. Did he call and add another life to those already in the pot? Did he fold after all, trying to minimize losses? He caught sight of the pregnant woman staring at him with pleading eyes, imploring him to win the hand and save her. He considered going so far as raising, risking more lives in hopes of scaring the doctor out of the hand. It was a low percentage play, but it might work. He only needed one card, so the doctor might assume he was holding trips or two pair in his hand, looking for that last card to sew up a full house. If Sloane believed him to be a basically good man, as someone who would not take unnecessary risks with the lives of others, he might fall for it. He'd done nothing untrustworthy while in the man's servitude, which could work in his favour. He couldn't bring himself to do it, not when there was a chance he'd catch a straight and win outright. Instead, he called by pointing to a weathered farmer, adding him to the pot. The man's face reflected inner sadness. He wore no wedding ring and had no friends by his side. Carter figured the guy might welcome death. Instead, the man spit a tirade of expletives his way that even a hardened gambler had never heard before. He started to draw his gun before another man grabbed his wrist and stopped the pistol from clearing its holster. Don't be an idiot, the stranger roared. You shoot that guy and none of us has a chance of getting out of here. Like it or not, we need him, or we all die. Recognizing his plight, the farmer slumped to the floor and rested his face in his hands, awaiting his fate. Another voice sounded in the crowd. A young lady this time. You better be good, mister. Win this thing. That they relied on him only added more pressure, and Carter began to feel heartburn creeping up his chest. He had no strategy for something like this. Money was one thing, a known comfort zone that came and went. This was entirely different. He sighed, trying to seem calm before tossing the nine into the discard pile. Sloane's eyebrow went up when he saw that Carter only needed one card. The doctor took three, which boosted Carter's hope. At best, he had a pair to work with before the new cards came in. When Carter flipped his new card, he realized even a pair would be enough to beat him. He'd drawn an ace of diamonds, missing the straight and giving him a useless hand. Smugness settled on Sloane's face as he looked over the cards he'd received. He made a show of choosing his next bet, clearly enjoying seeing people squirm. Carter wasn't surprised when the resurrectionist found a child in the crowd and added her to the pot. The girl's father cried out, To hell with this! Let's just kill that fat bastard! As he surged forward to do so, the brute at the door blocked his path, slamming him back with his massive arms. Blood immediately poured from the man's broken nose and he fell backward, stunned by the blow. Carter's heart skipped when he thought the man might get to Sloane. He needed the doctor's skills to save his family. Hell, even if someone did murder the cretin, his pets will just clean house. If anyone was going to get through the night, it was going to be on his shoulders. Every life, every death in this room depended on his actions. 
desperate. He now felt like raising was the only chance. He scanned the crowd, his eyes settling on two middle-aged players that were at the table with him earlier. He raised by offering them to the pot. As he did so, Ginny sized up the look on Carter's face and then whispered into Sloane's ear. Damn it! She wasn't just protecting their investment in me all this time. She was learning my play style. Was this a plan from the beginning? Ginny's time around the poker tables transformed her into a bit of a card shark in her own right. She was good at reading and manipulating people. She did that in her role as courtesan night after night. Spending time with Carter taught her how to play the game and read their opponents. Apparently, he'd also taught her how to read him. Interesting, Carter, Sloane said, with genuine curiosity in his voice. Miss early in the game, and I am positioned to get the measure of you as a man. What kind are you? Steady, reliable, and dependable? Playing the game aggressively to save as many people as you can? If so, you caught what you needed, and I should fold. He sat back and stared more intently at Carter. Or are you trying to bluff me? Valuing the importance of winning more than the sanctity of human life. As the doctor considered his response, the crowd began to stir. Members of the proposed pot pled their cases for being released from the game. Others in the group cried and whimpered. Some others voiced their hatred for both players. Sloane either didn't hear them or didn't care, instead keeping his gaze fixed on Carter. The gambler shrunk inside, unsure how he could get through a night when so much was at stake. Call, Sloane said, matching the raise by picking a teenage boy as his bet. I've got to keep you honest after all. Besides, I have nothing to lose here. Keep in mind that I actually don't want these people to live. Right now, you and I are the only two that matter. Remember that before trying to bluff me again. The doctor spread his hand out on the table, showing two pair, queens and threes. Carter fanned out his worthless cards. Those doomed by his poor play began crying hysterically and shouting curses at him for losing, several dead already. Ginny immediately fired at the young woman, hitting her square in the forehead, mercifully ending her life quickly. As she opened fire on the two gamblers Carter used as his raised bet, a dark fog began to swirl around the woman Ginny'd shot before the game began. Quickly, the fog coalesced into the shape of a woman, tall, athletic, and lithe. Her pale skin, sharp features, and perfect long hair made her beautiful. The horrific smile she flashed as she raised two daggers and began culling the other members of the pot made her a monster. Unlike Ginny's clean skills, this woman made sure to cut across their throats, leaving them soundless but momentarily alive. She cut unnecessarily further, enjoying the pain she brought to their dying bodies. Within moments of her arrival, the floor of Sullivan's looked to be that of an abattoir. Carter could barely think, absorbed by the cold, dead eyes staring at him. He felt the blame and hate that those looks cast his way. Sloane slid the cards across the table, insisting that Carter deal the next hand. 
the words sounded so far away that they barely registered. He paused, attempting to regain his composure. Deal, or she will gut this pig. Sloane hissed, snapping Carter too and drawing his attention to the murderous woman holding a knife to a young man's throat. Carter began to shuffle, frantically trying to find some way to win. He considered what game to call, and immediately decided on another hand of five-card draw. It tended toward lower bets, and his confidence was too shot to take many chances. He distributed the cards as Sloane chose an ante, Sullivan, the tavern's owner in this case. It made sense that he would choose a successful, healthy businessman. If nothing else, he seemed intent on crushing Carter's spirit in the process of killing everyone. Carter felt like an executioner as he scanned the room, looking for his next bet. Pick me, the bloodied farmer said from the ground, much to Carter's relief. I don't want to go on without my little girl. Carter nodded and looked over his hand. He held three kings in his hand, a strong hand. He gazed across the table and noticed a slight look of confusion on the doctor's face. The fat man began to sweat as he stared blankly at his cards. Ginny intervened, whispering in his ear. She's teaching him to play, Carter realized. The bastard doesn't even know the game. The realization changed everything. He had a genuine chance, especially if he confused Ginny by playing outside of his normal strategy. He tended toward conservative bets when facing new opponents. She would know that. This time, he opened the betting high. He pointed toward three people, choosing the healthiest he could find. The first was a burly man, a bouncer that sometimes worked the door at Sullivan's. The second was a lovely young lady that looked out of place in the tavern, probably funneled into the place by the undead goons patrolling outside. The last was another regular at the poker tables in the area, a middle-aged man in good health. As he chose them, he made eye contact with each, offering a wink as a sign that things were well. Sloane considered his hand again, motioning to Ginny for support. If it was true that the man wanted everyone in the tavern to die tonight, he might be willing to cut his losses and not risk seeing too many people go free. Ginny must have seen it the same way. The doctor folded after a few moments of deliberation. A squeal and some yells of delight erupted from the newly saved. Carter doubted that it could be that easy and braced himself for the double cross. It never came. Despite impressions you might have to the contrary, I am a man of my word, Sloane said to the members of the pot. You four may go. Three of the survivors made for the door, and the burly construct let them pass. The farmer didn't move. I'm staying, he said, staring at Sloane. The tall, beautiful murderess made her way toward him, but the doctor waved her off. Send someone else, fat man. To Carter's great surprise, Sloane shrugged. You, he said, pointing to an uptight-looking businessman. You're too scrawny for my needs anyway. Carter tried not to think of what his needs were, instead focusing on the shifting dynamics. Sloane was a monster, but at least he had some sense of honour, which gave Carter some leverage. It's Ginny I need to beat, and I can use the doctor's own rules to help me. 
he confidently placed the deck in front of his opponent. Sloan began shuffling immediately, this time announcing a game of seven-card stud. He chose an older woman from the crowd. She responded by wishing that his soul would rot in hell. The farmer volunteered to take her spot, and Sloan surprisingly agreed. The farmer wanted to die, and Carter wanted to lose this hand. There was no better time to gamble with the doctor's proclaimed honour, so he didn't hesitate with his ante. Her, he said, pointing at Ginny. She laughed uproariously. Nice try, she mocked. I'm not a person. The good doctor said we could nominate people. Carter said emphatically. He did not stipulate that those people had to be living. Sloan laughed, and Ginny laughed with him. Carter's heart sunk. This clearly wasn't going to work the way he wanted it to. You did say he was cunning, the doctor said to his concubine. But, my love, it's a legitimate bet. Though you've served me well, I can always make another just like you. Ginny pointed her gun at the doctor, but the other woman was on her before she could act. Blades cut across the tendons in her arm, and Ginny dropped the gun. Her eyes filled with hate for both Sloane and Carter. The resurrectionist dealt the cards and began to look through his hand. Carter didn't bother, choosing to fold immediately. The doctor must have anticipated the play and simply laughed. Genius, my boy he said. See now why I am loath for us to part ways. As he spoke, the raven-haired murderess moved in a blur of motion, cutting Ginny to bits before opening the farmer's throat. Carter looked upon him with sadness as the dying man mouthed the words, thank you. In clarification, let's define a few things, shall we? Sloane asked as he placed the deck back in front of Carter. I'll grant the interpretation of Ginny as a person. She walked, talked, demonstrated sentience, etc. But the rest of my minions are off limits to betting. The construct at the door is unthinking, and the zombies barely have any flesh left on them. As for Bette Noire, she is something entirely different. He thrust a pudgy thumb at the gorgeous murderer as he mentioned her. You and I are also not eligible for betting. If either of us dies, so does everyone in this bar as well as your loved ones. Got it? He asked in a tone commanding than questioning. Carter agreed. He already tilted the game in his favour and felt confident about his chances of getting more people out alive. He began to shuffle while contemplating his next game. Guts, he decided, again focused on keeping the betting low. Though fortune swung his way for now, it might not stay. He chose someone to ante, and the doctor did the same. Sloane chortled. Determined to make this an all-night game, are we? Carter didn't answer, replying only by dealing the hands. His was a mess. There was nothing higher than an eight, and all of the cards were mixed suit. To his horror, the doctor giggled excitedly when he looked at his own hand. Let's make this exciting, the resurrectionist said. These five. He pointed to the five healthiest-looking bodies left in the dwindling crowd. Tears started to leak from Carter's eyes as he folded. Seven more dead. 
How many more lives will I snuff out tonight? He stared down at the felt table, determined to avert his eyes from the jubilant Bet Noir's massacre. The sounds were damaging enough. He told himself that the last hand was a setback, that he could beat this man. One good draw would end this macabre game. We'll be playing seven-card stud. The doctor dealt the cards as he named the game. It's not as though I have a choice, Carter responded, absent-mindedly pointing to a boy barely old enough to shave as his ante. He was shifting his focus to winning, not thinking of each life at stake. Concern for the people in the room hampered his play. He needed to be more aggressive. It was typically the best way to beat newer players. It also meant ending this horror show as quickly as possible. Luck decided to boost his chances. His down cards held a pair of sixes. The up card added a king of diamonds to the mix. Gambler's instinct told him this was going to be his hand. Those two, the brother and sister near the piano. Sloane looked at his cards. And I shall call that bet with the barfly in the corner and the piano player himself. Whatever their reaction, Carter didn't hear it. He felt it now, the zone, the feeling of being carried on Luck's wings. It didn't happen often, but when it did, the sensations was unmistakable. He would not lose this hand. More cards slid into his view. First a king of spades, two pairs so far. His opponent showed only a four of spades and a queen of clubs. Not much to worry about so far. All in he heard himself say, that half of the remaining group. Ha! Sloane exclaimed. Now we have a game, do we not? Carter had expected him to fold, but for some reason he simply called the bet. What did the man have? With both players all in, every person in the room accounted for, the players flipped their hands. Sloane had him again, showing the two queens in his hand. Somehow it didn't matter. This pot belonged to Carter. He knew it. The next cards came up, Carter getting a four of diamonds that didn't help his cause. Sloane drew similar junk, a two of clubs. The crowd silenced, tension stealing their breath. The next card, a three of hearts, did nothing for Carter's two pair. Similarly, Sloane's jack of diamonds offered no help. It was Sloane's game going into the last card, and still Carter remained convinced he would win it. It's been a good game, Sloane offered, thoroughly enjoying the tension. What will you do if you win? You'll be a hated man in these parts. People will label you selfish for putting two people's lives above those of all that died tonight. Shut up and deal the card, fat man, the gambler said, gripped in his voice. Sloane did so, tossing another king into Carter's hand and completing the full house. The doctor's card came up, an ace of spades. The game was over. The stunned crowd began breathing again. Some rejoiced in their salvation. Most were too stunned to react. Carter waited for one last double cross. Instead, a disappointed bet noir slid back into the shadows, disappearing from the room. Sloane gestured to the brute at the door, who started hauling bodies outside. Most of the crowd stood and watched, agape and in shock. 
Go on, folks, Carter told them. It's over. Like cattle, they slowly shuffled out of the tavern, pausing only to let the flesh construct come in and remove more bodies. Eventually, it was just Carter and Sloan. Here, Sloan said, handing him two vials of bright green liquid. Give these to the girls when you get home. They'll be well by morning. Carter just nodded, his own heart beating a mile a minute and anger heating his face. He wanted to kill the doctor where he stood for all that he'd done. How do you feel, old boy? You saved more lives than you lost tonight. You've won. When Carter didn't answer, Sloane goaded him further. Still, it's important that you realize that you've given me everything I ever needed. When I needed money to support my undertakings, you supplied more than I imagined. When I needed more bodies to work on, I got them from you tonight. More than I need, in fact. You were a more perfect servant than even my dear Ginny. Do you realize that? Carter grabbed Ginny's gun and considered killing the resurrectionist where he stood, dooming the family he'd fought so hard to save. Instead, he ignored the doctor's jibes. He crossed the room, shot open Sullivan's cash box, and took what he could. You asked what I was going to do after this, he said to Sloane. Well, I'll tell you. I'm going to give your concoction to my family and use this cash to get us across the breach. Tonight, I'm going to leave you and Malifaux far, far behind me. With that, Carter quickly left the tavern to start a new life. That's it for another installment of The Weird Chronicles. Join us next time for more tales of action and adventure.